friends. Welcome to the Skyline Church Podcast. I'm Jonathan Middlebrooks, one of the pastors here at Skyline Church. Skyline is a worshiping community, a disciple-making community, and a generational community. We're committed to seeing revival in our city sparked through the presence of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. These sermons are specific to that purpose and in the context of our unique community. We hope that it might bless you in some way. Enjoy. series this morning, and I'm really excited um, to do something different. Really felt the leading of the Holy Spirit to uh, start this year off a little bit different and to um, even organize our time together a little bit different. So if you could go ahead, Chris, and put that title slide up there. We had a, a friend who did a series by this title that really impacted me. It's just this idea that God comes where he's wanted. Like, so the question is, why does God show up in certain places at certain times in history? And the, the biggest indicator is there was a group of people somewhere who wanted God to show up. And they demonstrated their desire for God to show up through certain practices and through certain um, commitments to him. And so I don't know if you know this about our church because we have a lot of new people. But five years ago, God radically changed our church. He, he reoriented and recentered us on the practice of worship and prayer with the idea that um, we believe the only way our nation um, and the American church will reverse the decline that's been happening is actually through revival. It's not going to be through politics. It's not going to be through money. It's not going to be through innovation and technology. We actually think the reversal of the decline in our nation and in this church, in the American church, will come when God shows up again like he does in history. And so we started asking ourselves, what are the kind of things that people do um, to, to make God aware that he's wanted? And it was worship and prayer. It's crying out. It's fasting. It's these kinds of things, but we just said we, we want to orient our life around this, and there was another thing there that happened, so if you're new to Skyline as well, you, you might be asking yourself, because I get this question a lot, what kind of church is Skyline? Right, Because many of us came from Church of Christ or Southern Baptist or Methodist or Presbyterian or Catholic. I mean, if we did a survey here, it's actually amazing how diverse the background in this church of our religious background. Um, uh, but five years ago, what we realized was that, that one of the key indicators of the decline of the Western church, American church, is that we lack power. We have a lot of things. I read a quote this week, and I sent it to a buddy, and it's talking about the difference between influence and power. The American church has a lot of influence because we have a lot of money, we have a lot of people, we have a lot of buildings, we have a lot of stuff, right? What we've been lacking, though, is power. The, the apostles walked through the book of Acts with no influence, but with power. And it literally turned the Roman Empire upside down. If you track the decline of the American church, every single denomination in America has been declining, is and has been declining except for one. I bet you can't guess which one. Maybe you can. The only denomination in America that has not declined over the last 50 years is the Assemblies of God. That weird church in your town that you're like, we don't really go there. Because no one knows what happens. We've only heard stories. Right? So I grew up Church of God, Anderson, Indiana. Anybody ever heard of that little tiny denomination that's not a denomination that's actually a denomination? Anybody? But you'd always say, I was like, oh, I'm Church of God. And they're like, Cleveland? And I was like, no, not Cleveland, because Cleveland was known for, like, handling snakes and drinking poison. And I've got a friend who literally knows three people who have died by snake bite. 
from through faith handling a rattlesnake in a church. Um, and their family's cool with it because they're just like, they went to heaven. They did what, you know, I was like, okay. But we're always like, not Cleveland, Anderson. And, and I don't know really what the differentiator, but, you know, we don't handle snakes. I guess that's the main one. We don't do that. Um, and, and so I, five years ago, we just realized, well, if you read the Bible, the difference between influence and power is the Holy Spirit. Human beings can have influence. The Holy Spirit has power. And he actually wants to pour out his power into, onto people, and into, and onto the church. And that's how things actually get done in the kingdom of God. If you want to work for the kingdom of God, you better come to know the Holy Spirit. Because that's how the kingdom of God gets pushed out and expanded. Um, and so we just started saying, hey, if, this, if we can find it in the Bible, and it has to do with the Holy Spirit, we're going to believe it, and we're going to practice it. So we started opening ourselves up to the, to the spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians you know, 12 through 14. And we just started saying, listen, all the things we might have thought was weird before, as long as it's biblical, um, right? As long as it's in the Bible and as long as it's about the person and the power of the Holy Spirit, we're open to it. And God began to work. So we started seeing these things. And so really our heart has been for revival. And we've had a little remnant of people and prayer warriors and worshipers. And so we really felt the Holy Spirit saying, in this time, we want you to expand that circle. I, I, I don't want just a little remnant in Skyline to have a heart for revival. I want an entire church to have a heart for revival and to understand what this is. And so uh, as I was praying about this, Lord, okay, Lord, what do we do with the time we have? We've got Sunday mornings where we get basically kind of the whole church together um, at various times. And, and he, he said these things. He says, I, I want you to read revival scriptures. I want you to tell revival stories. I want you to pray revival prayers. And at some point, I, I want you to start giving your life to revival practices. What is the kind of lifestyle that people live who see um, and steward a move of God on the earth? What does it look like? And the great thing about this, friends, is we have a history book called the Bible. And then we have the history of the church as God has shown up over and over and over in history. Whenever there is a decline, do not be afraid. In fact, the worse it gets, the better it is for the church. Because the worse it gets, the closer we are to God saying, right, the Bible says God will not be mocked. This won't last forever. He will show up and he will move and he will turn the powers and authorities and principalities on their head and we'll see a... Right? We've seen it so many times. We've seen it in our own nation. If you know our nation's history, our nation was birthed out of a great awakening. Guys, 1776 doesn't happen without the ministry of Jonathan Edwards and Jonathan Wesley, John Wesley and George Whitfield doing revivals up and down the East Coast. It transformed our nation, which made us able to conceive of a nation where all people are equal. That, that concept came from the Bible, and it came from a renewed generation whose hearts had been set on fire for Jesus. That's what happened. Now, the history since then... We can talk about, right? We have ideals and then we have reality. But that's where it came from. So this is what we're going to do. So you might be saying right now, say like, what is revival, right? So there's all these different definitions, all these different ideas. If you grew up a pastor's kid like me, you grew up going to revival services. Anybody been to a revival service? Not in a long time, but you have been. And that meant like five nights, usually five or six nights of services every night a week that culminated on Sunday morning. Usually Saturday night was the big one, the altar call. And, and, I, and I'll just tell you, God used those. 
Some of us in here got saved at those meetings. You came to know Jesus. God really worked in my heart as a little child. I was so uh, annoyed at having been at another revival service or my dad's preaching at a revival somewhere else and we have to go with all these kids we don't know. It's so awkward. And you're just like, oh no. But then you, you watch grown men and women go to the altar and weep and get saved and get delivered, get healed, watch marriages restored. And it puts these little kernels of the kingdom of God in children's hearts. Like God's real. I may be bored to tears right now, but I walked out of that thing going like, I've seen people repent. I've seen people under the conviction of the Holy Spirit about sin. I've watched people go from death to life with my own eyes. I never had a question in my life. Even when I wandered from far from God, I never had a question whether God was real. Because I'd seen it. That's our heart for this church. We want our children, that's why we keep children in service, we want our children to watch Adults go to the altar and weep and pray and reconcile and forgive and get restored because we want them to know how real God is. Duncan Campbell. So this morning we're going to talk about uh, the Hebrides revival. Um, so we're going to do uh, just a, a quick definition. He says this, in writing of this movement, I'd like to first state what I mean by revival as witnessed in the Hebrides. Um, the Hebrides is this small chain of islands off the northwest corner of Scotland. I do not mean a time of religious entertainment, with crowds gathering to enjoy an evening of bright gospel singing. I don't mean sensational or spectacular advertising. In a God-sent revival, you don't need to spend money on advertising. <laughs> I do not mean high-pressure methods to get men to an inquiry room. Anybody been in an inquiry room? I have. It was at a hell house in Dallas. Anybody been to a hell house? The inquiry room is the very hot, stuffy, weird room at the end where you're like, I'll do anything to get out of here. Become a Christian, I'm in. If it just lets me leave that door. The inquiry room, is that right? He says, you don't need uh, pressure to get people to the inquiry room. In revival, every service is an inquiry room. The road and hillside become sacred spots to many when the winds of God blow. Revival is a going of God among his people, an awareness of God laying hold of the community. Here we see the difference between a successful campaign and revival. In the former, we may see many brought to saving knowledge of the truth. The church or mission experience a time of quickening, but so far as the town or district is concerned, no real change is visible. The world goes on its way, and the dance and picture shows are still crowded. But in revival, the fear of God lays hold upon the community moving men and women until they had no concern uh, the, uh, who until then had no concern for spiritual things to seek after God. So revival is a going of God amongst the church to the point it's so powerful and so real it begins to spill out and it begins to change schools and businesses and government and economics all the things Revival, another one. Revival. What is revival? I love this. Revival is the baptism of the Holy Spirit on a corporate scale. Revival is when not just a few come to know Jesus in a powerful way and have powerful experiences, but on a corporate level, whole groups of people encounter God. His manifest presence invades rooms and homes and business in a way where no one who was there could escape. <laughs> if you were there, you got it. Whether you chose to or not, and we've, we've seen that, right? Like, I didn't choose to become a Christian. It happened to me. <laughs> Right? Some of you have that experience. Revival is a community saturated with God. Revival is a sovereign act of God. And then I love this. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is the coronation of the Lord Jesus in the life of the believer. Revival is, a, uh, a revival is the coronation of the Lord Jesus in his church. 
So Jesus gets coronated as king in your life through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But when the baptism of the Holy Spirit happens to communities, like everyone comes under Jesus together and just says, it's him. It's clear who's the shepherd, who's in charge. Um, and everyone comes to that place. Um, I love this idea from Evan Roberts with the Welsh Revival. He says this, bend the church, save the world, right? So revival has to happen here before it happens anywhere else. So many times we're so concerned about the world and we, we ignore our own heart. Um, and I think Lance said it in a retreat one time, said if you really want revival, in a, in, I don't know if you made this up or got it from somebody else, but I'll say he made it up. Um, he, he said, if you really want revival, walk into your closet, draw a circle and ask God to bring it inside the circle. Before you do anything else, God, bring revival to my heart, right? And then it's, God, bring revival to the church. Then it's like, okay, now the world. Been the church, save the world. And really, here's what we want to do. By, by saturating your life for the next four weeks or 48 weeks, we don't have an end date to this series. I just felt the Lord saying, like, hey, don't put four weeks on it. Don't put eight. Don't put 12. Don't say until Easter. Don't just say until I'm done. That's what the Lord's saying to me. But what we want to do is we want to inundate your life with revival scriptures, revival stories, revival uh, prayers, and revival practices until you develop a holy imagination about what's possible. What's possible when God shows up? Because so many times I think our faith just starts to wane because we're looking at the world, we're looking at our life, we're looking at our bank account, we're looking at our talents, our education, or we're looking at the state of the church and we just think, what's possible? But if you start swimming in the waters of revival history, of the Bible, of these things that God has done, you'll start to expand your view. Your imagination will get set on fire. So we've got two scriptures. So we're going to give you these texts these week. So I, I'd encourage you to put this down in your notes app, get on your Bible app, highlight them. If you've got your Bible, find it and underline it because we want to roll through. These are scriptures that through the course of history have sparked people to do what we hope we'll do together. So the first one is 2 Corinthians 7.14. If you're a prayer person, you know this passage. Uh, but I'm going to start actually in 11. Solomon finishes the temple of the Lord in the royal palace. He had succeeded in carrying out all he had in mind to do in the temple of the Lord and in his own palace. Sorry, 2 Chronicles 7, uh, 11, if you missed that part. 7, 11. Um, listen to this. The Lord appeared to him at night. Solomon does all these things for God and then God appears to him and God's like, listen, there's, there's a little bit more. I need you to know these things. He says, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Listen to that. What does God do? He forgives your sin, but it's more than that. He goes, I actually want to heal the land. I care about the culture of Oklahoma City. I care about everyone who's far from God. I care about every child, every widow, every foreigner amongst us. God is like, I am listening to these prayers and I will come and I will wipe your heart clean. But guess what? It's not just about you. I'm going to heal the land. Listen to this. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. I've chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. I'd encourage you to consider this scripture and meditate on it and take temple and put church in. 
I've consecrated this church, this bride, the body of Christ. My eyes and my ears will be attentive to the places where Christians gather to pray. That's called the church. Where two or three are gathered, was Jesus promised, in your midst, I'll be there. But it's an interesting thing because God says this, if this, then this, right? If this, then that. If my people who are called by my name, what will they do? They'll humble themselves. They'll pray. They'll seek my face. They'll turn from their wicked ways. There's an issue of sanctification right now, friends, in the American church. We've lost the idea of holiness. And when I say we, I say myself. I say, it is a struggle right now to consider what a holy life looks like in the United States of America. We just really don't have any concept, I think, anymore because everything feels like legalism. Everything feels like judgment. Any, any thought that you think this might be right and this might be wrong or this might be wise or this might be unwise, it's okay for you. You do you, I'll do me. But God says, listen, there's things that if you want me to show up and forgive your sins and heal your land, you've got to turn from certain things. The sermon isn't about that, but God says, if this, then that. I encourage you to hide this scripture in your heart. Like, start to pray this. Start to say, God, what does it look like for me to humble myself before you? What does it look like for me to really enter into prayer, to seek you? And then I love Habakkuk 3. The prophet prays this prayer. Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. O Lord, renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Friends, there's, there are seasons of history where the wrath of God against sin gets poured out. And in those places where God's wrath is being poured out, you find things like despair, division, abuse. You find all manner of evil, the New Testament says. And so I think there's another thing that we have to recover in our day, which is to see what is happening in our culture that isn't, about, um, uh, isn't all about humans. It's actually God's at work here. God's actually working so that we'll feel the nature of the darkness and evil and sin in our midst and we'll repent. We'll actually come back. We'll return. But if you don't have that sense, you'll just keep going. You'll, you'll think, my life's pretty good, so why should I think a whole lot about changing? I'll just go to church, be a good person, raise my kids retire, try to have a good life and go see God again. And God, and I love the, the prophets like, no, 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 God, I sense your displeasure with our generation, but I know you're a merciful God. So in wrath, remember mercy, remember your nature, remember your promises to Israel, remember how you show up and rescue people. But I love this. I've stand in awe of your deeds. And so this whole prayer is based like, do it again, Lord. That's why we want to tell revival stories because we want our heart to say like, Lord, do it again. Like what you did in that time and those people in that place, do it again. Like would you show up again in that way and you start to believe that it's possible as you pray those prayers, as you think those thoughts. Um, and so revival story. So that, that's our basis this morning is that we, we know that God has promised that we'll humble ourselves and pray and seek his face that he'll, he'll show up. And our desire is God for you to show up in the way that only you can show up Right? So this isn't about building a large church so that we all think we did a good job. It's about God showing up in a way that it's so clear not a single person could have done this. There's no one sm smart enough. There's no one wealthy enough. There's no one powerful enough to do these things. It had to have been. God's real, and he's here. Revival's a going of God amongst his people. 
Okay, so I want to tell this story real quick before we get to our, our prayer portion. The, the Hebrides, you probably have never heard that word before. Like I said, it's, it, it might be my favorite revival story, and, and, and I'll kind of tease out why a little bit. But um, it's this little chain of islands. Um, it's, uh, they're all what, you, what we would consider Presbyterian, Calvinist churches, little faithful gospel communities in this area. area. And yet, uh, everyone is kind of still going to church. Why I, why I think I like it is because it reminds me of the American church. People were still going to church. They still had a Bible on their stand in their house. And yet everyone could tell that it wasn't impacting the lives of people, but especially young people. Young people had fled the church. Does that sound familiar? I know you, you go to Skyline, you think, wow, young people are going to church. That what's happening here is not happening almost anywhere else. Young people ha- have fled the church. Um, that was happening in the Hebrides, and they noticed. I love that they noticed, and I love they said, we've got to do something. Like, we, we, we've got to go to the Lord with this. But, so what they did is they put a, a, uh, an announcement in there like, uh, you guys, some of you remember this. Do you remember getting, like, the church announcements in the mail? Anybody remember that? You get, like, a paper thing in the mail, but like, hey, there's a potluck on Friday. And there's, like, you know I mean, there's all this stuff going on in the church, and it'd be, like, people who hadn't been to church probably in five weeks, they're naming you. They're, like, you missed your tithe. I don't know. Um, but you're, like, at this whole thing. So they sent out an announcement. I'm going to read this announcement to you because I think it's really powerful what, what this group of people said. So they say the Presbytery of Lewis has taken into, having taken into consideration the low state of vital religion within their bounds and throughout the land generally call upon their faithful people in all their congregations to take a serious view of the present dispensation of divine displeasure manifested. (laughs) I love this statement. We're asking you to take a serious view of the divine displeasure that's being manifested in our midst right now. Friends, I I wonder how serious is my view right now of the divine displeasure being manifested in our nation? How serious is my view? It's one thing to kind of know it. I know God's probably displeased with how things are going, and yet it's another thing to take a serious view. Not only in the, listen to this, not only in the chaotic conditions of international politics and domestic economics and morality. Okay, so this is the 1940s. This is uh, post-World War II. And it's funny to me that they're praying very similar prayers to what we're praying. They're seeing very similar things to what we're seeing today. Everyone thinks their own generation is the only time this has happened. Friends, this is happening over and over. This is the pattern of sinful human beings over time always ends up in decline and division and dissension and despair, all these things, right? So they said, uh, in domestic economics, morality, but also and especially in the lack of spiritual power from gospel ordinances. And to realize that these things plainly indicate that the Most High has controversy with the nation. (laughs) I love that. They're like, our nation that we live in is actually in controversy with God. Which then goes, which side am I on of this controversy, right? We're choosing sides. They note especially the growing carelessness towards Sabbath observance and public worship, the light regard of solemn vows and obligations so that the sacraments of the church, especially that of baptism, tend to become in too many cases an offense to God rather than a means of grace to the recipients. And the spreading abroad of the spirit of pleasure, which has taken such a hold of the younger generation that all regard for anything higher appears with very few exceptions to have been utterly dismissed from their thoughts. If they thought people were seeking pleasure in 1948, what would they think of the United States of America in 2024? Whew. The Presbytery 
affectionately plead with their people, especially the youth of the church, to take these matters to heart and to make a serious inquiry as to what must be the end should there be no repentance. And they call upon every individual as before God to examine his or her life in light of that responsibility which retains to us all. That happily, in the divine mercy, we may be visited with the spirit of repentance and may turn again unto the Lord, whom we have so grieved with our iniquities and waywardness. Especially, we would uh, warn the young people of the devil man's traps, the cinema, and the public house. (laughs) My mom didn't go to a movie theater until she was 30 years old. Can you imagine that? She didn't see a movie until she was 30 years old. So what do they do? They send out this announcement. What do they do next? They start to pray. Specifically and and almost especially, two sisters, one was 84 and one was 82, one was blind. They were basically homebound. They had no earthly influence. They had no money. They had no power. But they had prayer. And so they started praying three nights a week. They'd start at 10 p.m. and they'd usually go to 3 or 4 a.m. in their house. They begin to sense the presence of God so powerfully they called the pastor to start praying as well. And they said, you can use the barn. (laughs) Call the elders. You guys pray in the barn. We'll pray in the house. And that little prayer meeting was really the spark for this entire revival. It was two little old ladies who gave their life to prayer. Intercession is really at the heart of every revival. It's people saying, "I, I have nothing else, but if God really does hear prayer, then I have that. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face. So they they took that promise seriously. They began to pray. And you can find when you start to trace back the stories, these little ladies were kind of at the center of everything. They're the ones who called the pastor. This lady's praying. She sees a vision of the pastor. She describes him. Nobody knows this pastor. Turns out he's elsewhere in Scotland. They end up finding him. She says he'll be here in 10 days. Guess what? On the 10th day, he arrives on the dock. And this, this lady is just, she's spiritually directing in some ways this move of God through her prayer life because God just continues to give her visions and dreams and speaks to her constantly. And the people are smart enough to not follow based on position or power. They say, this person's connected to God. I want to listen to her. She's the one who knows. Another key moment uh, is this little house. Um, I don't know if you can see that. Yeah, you see it there. They, um, uh, this is a, a blacksmith's house. They had a prayer meeting in this house. It says, one night they crowded into the home of the blacksmith, a smith, a smith named Smith. That's when you used to get named, right, by, your, by what you did. Um, I'm Jonathan Pastor. Nice to meet you. Uh, but the spiritual atmosphere was dry. A sense of deadness prevailed as one after another tried to break through in prayer. Duncan Campbell, the evangelist, right, the pastor, called on Mr. Smith to pray. The prayer was short and sharp. Oh God, you made a promise to pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. And Lord, it's not happening. He paused and then continued in a rising voice, Lord, I do not know how Mr. Campbell or any of these other men stand with you, but if I know my own heart, I know that I am thirsty. You've promised to pour water on him who is thirsty. If you don't do it, how can I ever believe you again? Your honor is at stake. You are a covenant-keeping God. Fulfill your covenant engagement. At that instant, the granite house shook like a leaf. And a power was unleashed that swept the entire parish. It didn't just hit that house. It hit the entire village in a moment. 
Campbell said, I could only stand in silence as wave after wave of divine power swept through the house, and in a matter of minutes following this heaven-sent visitation, men and women were on their faces in distress of soul. He stepped outside and discovered that the whole village was astir. Though it was 11 o'clock at night, people with lanterns and flashlights were making their way along the roads and across the fields toward the meeting place as if summoned by a silent bell. Next day, the looms were silent and work stopped everywhere the people gathered to discuss this strange invasion from heaven and the awareness of God's presence that now pervaded the community. Spontaneous prayer meetings took place in homes and on streets. You met God on the meadow and moorland, said the parish minister. You met him in the homes of the people. God seemed to be everywhere. Or as another observer put it, the Lamb of God took the field and the forces of darkness were routed. I don't know about you guys, but I'd love to see the Lamb of God take the field in our city. This is the little church, one of the churches that was visited in this church. A young man who was 15 years old, his name is Donald McPhail. Donald uh, met Jesus. Um, he was a little shepherd boy. He met Jesus in the field. He disappeared for about six hours. They couldn't find him, so they sent out a search party, and they found him, uh, as they described, in the heather, <laughs> in the grass on his back, just saying, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you. He'd been there for hours. He had an encounter with Jesus in the fields. It changed his life, and it put him on his back, and he couldn't move. He's there for six hours. Whew. So they had a meeting here at this church in Barvis, and it was going badly. It's one of those meetings where the pastor's preaching. He's like, it's like my words are bouncing back to me. <laughs> it's like, no, it's never happened to me. I don't know how that goes, but... <laughs> Never here. Uh, that was a good laugh right there. <laughs> you know, uh, it, it, he's like, it's just going really hard. And he says, he's like, man, the going was hard. I looked down and I saw little Donald sitting there in the seat. As I, as I saw that his head was bowed and I saw the floor was wet with his tears. This 15-year-old boy who just met Jesus, he's just sitting in the sanctuary while they're preaching and he's weeping at the word of God. Duncan Campbell said, I said to myself, well now, there is a young lad nearer to God than I. There is a young lad who's in touch with God, and I stopped preaching. And I looked down at this young lad, and I said, Donald, I believe that God would have you lead us in prayer. It was right in the midst of my address, and that young lad stood to his feet. Now that morning, a family worshiped their reading, Revelation 4, where John has the vision of the open door. I saw a door opened in heaven, and as that young man stood, the vision came before him, and this is what he said in his prayers. Can you imagine a 15-year-old kid standing up in the church doing this right now? He says, God, I seem to be gazing through the open door, and I seem to see the Lamb standing in the midst of the throne. He has the keys of death and hell at his girdle. Then he stopped and began to weep. And for about a minute or so, he wept and wept. And when he was able to control himself, he, looked, he lifted his eyes toward heavens and cried out, God, there is power there. Let it loose. <laughs> Let it loose. And suddenly the power of God fell upon the congregation. And now one side of the church threw their hands up like this, and the other threw their head back like that. You almost declare they were in a fit, but they were not. The other side, they slumped on top of each other, but the Holy Ghost was moving. And those who had their hands up like this stayed like that for two hours. And he said they would try to put their hands down, and they said that no, no person's strong enough to move them. They're just in, the, in a trance. At this meeting, uh, people begin to spill outdoors, and what they realize is there are 600 people outside the church who had gotten a call from God to show up. 
It's 11 o'clock at night. And so then they let those 600 people, look at that little building, they had 800 people in there. And they had 600 people come to know Jesus. There's 100 young people at a dance hall. They said in the middle of this dance hall, in the middle of the dance, the power of God fell on the dance and every single young person made their way to the church. No one made an announcement. Nobody said we should all go to the church. It was just everyone's heart. The spirit of God inside them said go. And they all went. Here's what I love about this revival. 75% of the people who got saved in this revival were outside the church. It was God showing up in their business and in their home and on the streets and at the police station. And it was just the awareness of God was everywhere and people were coming to know him. And the church became the receiving place for all these people who had had an encounter with him. So the church then became like the interpreter of what God's doing. Because God's reviving the church and these people come back. It's an incredible thing. They said it not just happened that, but it hit the community. It says, uh, day to day, communities touched by this gracious moment. Gracious movement, you have men and women living for God, family worship in every home, five or six prayer meetings a week in every parish, ministers and elders doing their utmost to build up the young men and women of faith. It affected their town as well. The pubs where people were involved in just drunkenness, they closed because there wasn't anybody drinking anymore. Everybody was going to church. <laughs> the church became the, the, the most fun place. People are like, why would I go anywhere else? If I can meet with God, God's the most interesting person in the universe. I'd rather be with him. So these stories, this is a short one, we'll tell, we'll tell one each week, but I, wanted to, I want you to think about if we walked out this door this morning and there was a thousand people waiting in our, in our lot. Can you just imagine? And they said, we don't know why we're here, but something led us here. We think God's at work. You realize there was a revival in this church in the 1950s, and every single day at lunch, there would be hundreds of class and high school students in this sanctuary to pray for an entire school year. That happened in this building. It's part of the outpouring of the Asbury revival in the 1970s. Friends, this has happened. It's happened in this building. So we want to say, Lord, we've heard of your fame and deeds. Do it again. Do it again. I love this idea of uh, motivation. Uh, it says... Um, I will, I won't, I want. <laughs> so much of our motivation and ambition is about I will or I won't, right? I decide, I, I have all these things, but the most powerful impulse in us is I want. The problem in life is you mostly get what you want. There's ways to get what you want. The question is, what do you want? What I want is to see a church that wants Jesus. <laughs> That's what I want. I want revival. I want the church to be alive. I want to see him. So, um, what we're going to do is we're going to spend some time in prayer. And, and this is the thing I thought. It's interesting. If you walked into the, almost the average American church, you would say um, what moves the needle is, is, like, is the brain, the mind. We show up to church with our minds. We try to think our way. Um, and, and I want to encourage you in this series as we go forward, I want to encourage you to show up to church with your heart. I don't think it's argument that wins people. I think it's affection. I don't think people get won by great sermons, right? Um, I, I think they get won when like, the affection of people's hearts spills into their life. And they're like, oh, this person just loves Jesus. They're on fire for Jesus. They're, it's like they're wedded to him. They want to please him. They're concerned about him. And, um, so we're going to spend some time in prayer. So here's what I've done. I, 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 each week, I've, I've recruited three people who are revival prayers. 
people I know in our church, you may not even know them yet, but they're people who show up when it's time to pray. And I've asked them to pray this morning. Because I think it's one thing to talk about prayer, it's another to do it. And so I'm hoping that as we go forward, more and more of these services, and and it's scary to me how much you show up to the church on Sunday mornings and how little we pray. Um, So we're going to pray right now. And here's the kind of prayer I'm thinking about. Um, I don't want this to be like when you pray around the table for your food and you're like, oh God, bless us, keep us, keep us safe, keep us, you know. Um, I don't know how many of you have been able to pray with a mom who has a prodigal child. Anybody ever been in that place? You got a mom whose son or daughter is far from God. Those prayers are from the heart. And they're usually with tears and groans. Oh, God, I need you. I don't know what to do. That's what we want this morning. We want to cultivate a heart in this church. Um, So I pray in the prayer room, like, God, would you birth a cry in this church? Would you birth a, a, a unique prayer in this church for you to show up, for you to come, for you to do your work? Um, Because I do think there's some prodigal kids in some of our families, and I think there's a waiting period right now. And I think when God comes, I think we will collect all of those children back. But not just those children, so many more. Um, So here's what I want you to do. I I want you to stand to your feet, because I want you to stand while we pray. I don't want you to just watch and observe. I want you to close your eyes just for a second. I want you just to just take a moment and prepare your heart and just say, God, Holy Spirit, teach me how to pray for revival. Teach me how to bring my heart to the church. Because if our minds could have fixed what's going on, they would be fixed. If our buildings could fix it, if our money could fix it, if our influence could fix it, it'd be fixed. We just say, Lord, today you have my heart. So I've got three people who are going to pray. I want to encourage you, while they pray, if something stirs in your heart, would you respond to it? Right? I know we didn't grow up in churches with lots of response and lots of, you know, kind of outward, but I just want to say there's something about engagement and agreement in prayer. And the Lord loves it. So if something stirs your heart, yeah, I don't know what you need to say. You say, amen, hallelujah, that's right. You know, whatever it is, I know we got a few leaders in that. So feel free to, to, to respond. And I just want to say, as they pray, pray. Join them in prayer, right? Um, so I think, Trent, would you come up and maybe just uh, give us a little background? Strum. Holy Spirit, you're welcome in this place right now. Holy Spirit, pray through us. Would you teach us how to allow you to pray the heart of God through us? And so today we just let go of eloquence and we let go of propriety and we let go of like performance. Yeah. And we ask that you would pour out your power this morning. Yeah. Father, as we even begin 
to quiet our spirits before you and pour out our hearts before you, Lord. I am clearly aware of what you have done, even in this moment. That you have brought every person here in this room. You gave everybody a story here. You brought us here. You brought us here, and I want to say thank you. I want to thank you, Father, that you interrupted lives, and I want to thank you that you interrupted our lives, our family, and you said, do this, and we did, and here we are. So we thank you, Lord. We want to bless you, Lord. We want to bless you at all times, and that your praise, Lord, is continually in our mouth. Even now, Father, we bring all of our attention, our devotion, it is to you, God. And our hearts are filled this morning with gratitude and praise for you. And so we pause. We let ourselves be familiar with the pause. soul and spirit sense everything that you are we lean into the process of taking in your wonder and your majesty and your holiness father i am in awe that you birth in our hearts the very capacity to know and understand you and you place in us a hunger that only you can satisfy to taste and see that you're good. So we thank you, Father, for it. You're the greatest treasure of our lives, Lord. Father, we thank you. We give you praise this morning. I thank you, Lord, that you give us ears to hear you, eyes to see you, Lord, but Father, that you would even begin to give us a heart that to comprehend you, Lord. We thank you, Father, that we know the height and what is the depth of your great love for us in this hour. Thank you, Father, for face-to-face encounters, that we can see your very eyes. We can sense the beat of your heart, Lord Jesus, that we can be with you every day, next to you, face-to-face, Lord. We thank you, Father, for we know what you've done for us, that you've created a way for us, and that you lead us on paths of righteousness for the sake of your name. That the journey in our hearts, the journey in our lives has been towards you. All the days of our life, Father, it's been towards you, Father, you brought us to this place. So we're going to pause in your presence now. We're going to pause in your presence. We're going to look for you in our spirit. We're going to find you in our spirit. We're going to rest in your glory. And I thank you, Father, in this very moment where I am very aware of what seems like another very, very fresh stirring of who you are. And that I would even say it is a wildness. It is a wildness in you that is holy and anointed glorious, wild, and deep awareness that you are here and that you are indeed doing something very profound in this season, in this hour, in our hearts, and in this place, God. We are undone and we are in awe. We want 
stay attuned. We want to have this fire focus, Lord. We want to see you. Father, I, I can feel the Spirit of God telling us to ask you. Show us something that we've never seen before. Show us something that we've never seen before, God. Only you, you show us, Lord. We thank you for your beautiful, your glorious, your wild God. And we cry out for more, Lord. We thank you for those face-to-face -face moments every day. These face-to-face -face moments where we come into agreement with this vision of who you are and know that you will birth your glorious freedom and wildness in our own hearts today. You told us. You told us the Spirit. Your Spirit is like the wind. And we can hear it. We don't know where it comes from. And we don't know where it's going. But that's who we are because you're in us, Lord. So we are profoundly grateful. We want you to know that we absolutely love this place with you. This is freedom and honor. We open our hands to you right now, Father, even in this moment. We quiet our souls and we say that we trust in you. In all of our ways, we acknowledge you and we lean not on our own understanding. And I even feel this joy birth up in me to say, I relinquish my right to trust in my own understanding. I relinquish that right to you, Father. I surrender that to you, Father. You have our yes. You have our yes, Lord. We embrace your presence. It's all we want. We bless you, Jesus. Father, we cry out that you would breathe new life in us, that you would surprise us with your presence and your power, that you would heal us, that you would even bind up at this very moment the brokenhearted in this room right now. We ask you to bind up the brokenhearted. We ask you to gather them to you, Father, right now. We ask you to bring healing into their heart, Father. We thank you and that you would renew us with an all-consuming passion for Jesus Christ. Bless you, Jesus. We bless you, Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. The Lord says, I'll put my name on them and bless them. Lord, thank you for making your face shine upon us. We meet you face to face now, Lord Jesus. Face to face. Jesus, thank you, for, thank you for tearing any veil. We don't come to a mountain with a veil, but we've been welcomed in to just like, just like little Donald and the Hebrides saw, we were welcomed in to the throne room of power where the keys to life, death, and the grave 
are and we make requests of you in that place. Would you make your face shine upon us, Lord, face to face. Open my eyes, Lord, that I may see. We pray that same prayer from 2 Kings 6. Open my eyes, Lord, that I may see. Trouble and despair surround me. Everywhere I look, hopelessness is easy to see. How can one man, how can one family stand against schemes of the enemy that seem to be overtaking our day, our schools, our conversations, our consumption? Lord, I'm frequently asked, what are you going to do raising a child in this generation? confess I often shudder at the thought what will I do to raise a child in a numbing world dominated by screen lights dopamine dumps and waning personal connection what will I do to raise a child in a world where I often feel hopeless against the powers that be and the constant manipulation corruption and self-servingness they are seemingly addicted to I do to raise a child in a world where school is racked with anxiety and the all too familiar lockdown procedures in preparation for a possibility that I can't imagine having to handle what can we do God to raise our baby girl in this world yes yes open my eyes open my eyes Lord that I may see surely your hand is moving in our day Lord Surely the manifestations and power of the Spirit that we've seen on display are real. You are real, Holy Spirit. Surely the freedom from sin and its dominating power can have lasting and growing impact on our city, state, nation, and world. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief place that cry in my heart, Lord. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Lord, renew them in our day. Renew them in our day. In our time of deep need, help us again as you did in years gone by. And in your anger, Lord, remember mercy. Open our eyes, Lord, that we may see eyes to see a generation that you were raising up for such a time as this. Give me eyes to see a generation that reverses the trends of aggression, arrogance, and incivility, and is instead defined by kindness, gentleness, humility, and love. Let faith and hope rise up, Lord, in our hearts that you can and you will bring life, joy, peace, and safety to our classrooms and to our schools. Pour out your judgment on my generation's obsession and easy amusement with technology and convenience and raise up a generation that loves the beauty that you've abundantly set in your creation and in themselves and in others around them. God, we hope and we pray and we believe for this, that sexual exploitation will meet an end in our day, Lord. 
we hope and pray for the proliferation of violence and war and its heavy impact on the vulnerable, yet numbing effect on the masses to meet an end in our day. God, reverse the trends of deaths, of despair in our country and world by pouring out without measure hope and the power of the Holy Spirit in our day. Lord, would you pour it out? Lord, we've heard of your fame. We stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Give them to us, too. Give them to us. Renew them in our day, Lord. In our time of deep need, help us again as you did in years gone by. And in your anger, remember mercy. Open our eyes, Lord, that we may see like Elisha and his servant, that we are surrounded by you. We are surrounded by you. Thank you for surrounding us. Jesus, we love you. Lord, we repent where our hearts have been sick we have served ourselves and not you where we have let other things lord us and dictate our lives (laughs) when we have loved ourselves not you when we have wanted other things deliver us from independence you want us and all of us forgive us when we have cared more about what we look like in the eyes of man than in your eyes when we have served you only when it's convenient instead of yielding our whole lives to you When we have grieved you, Holy Spirit, you are merciful, full of kindness and open-armed. Forgive us when we thought our ways were better, when we were embarrassed to be seen with you, when you weren't cool or popular, and we didn't say that we were with you, when we were too prideful to receive you. How could we ever know all of your ways? Lord, your church is just bones and it must be filled with the breath of the Spirit of God. Oh, Holy Spirit, how could we not want you? Holy Spirit, we love you. We need you, Counselor, Comforter, and Spirit of Wisdom and Revelation. Holy Spirit, you show us Jesus. Holy Spirit, you are the one that fills our bodies, who searches us and knows us, who is our ever-present help in time of need, the one who gives beauty for ashes and joy for mourning. And you place a garment of praise on our backs, the one who makes himself known and reveals Jesus, the one who comforts us in grief and baptizes us with fire. The one inside of us that prays for us, that makes intercession on our behalf. The one that gives life to her bride, causing her to be foolish. Love 
thick and beautiful. Holy Spirit, you are the flame of the church. We grieve where you have not been welcomed. And we say we love you here. Oh Lord, we repent for not leaning on our beloved, for doing things out of our own zeal, passion, and understanding. We love your friendship and your ministry. We cannot go without your presence and anointing. Come and take your place in the church. You are the gift. We long for your return, Jesus, and we long for those who that have left you to come back and meet you. The lover of their soul, that they know how good you are, that your eyes are full of mercy. Lord, we pray right now, Lord, would, you, would they come back, Lord? We pray. Lord, you are the pursuer. Would they step into a church that bears your name and is filled with the Spirit of God? We refuse to partner with religion <laughs> and present a powerless gospel. Oh, we don't just want to be good, Jesus. <laughs> that you have for my life and our lives. Oh, to know you and know who you are. You are not coming back for lifeless rule followers. You are coming back for a bride. Yeah. A full bride. Cause us to be hungry, God. You are the bright and ship morning star who causes our heads to lift. You are available. You are real. You fill us with your breath and cause what was dull to become colorful. You deliver us from depression and sadness. You set the addict free. You free me from myself. You are the worthy lamb on the throne and the only one deserving of our whole lives. And we repent for when we have put anyone else on the throne that is not you. We have tasted of your glory, your mercy, mercy and your goodness and we ask that every heart would know you and that you would fill the sanctuary that you'd fill the sanctuary fill your temple oh gift of God we honor you and we welcome in your fire we welcome in your fire God we welcome in the fire of God your joy, your peace. We love you, Holy Spirit, and you are welcome here. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Um, we're going to sing one song and close. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. You guys. <laughs> I think you can tell that God is drilling some deep wells here. <laughs> you heard it this morning, and I just want you to know, like, if you ask, he'll, he'll drill a deep well in you. Ask, seek, knock, right? It will be given to you. He'll receive it. The door will be open. I love it. The end goes, he was talking about the Holy Spirit. What should you ask for? Holy Spirit, drill a deep well in me of praise and worship and prayer. I don't know how you ended up at our church, but here's what I know. It's not an accident. 
he brought you to this church at this time for a reason, and it's so that he could drill that well in you. Amen? So, so I just keep asking myself, what could God do with one church full of revivalists? <laughs> What could he do with, with 500, 800, 1,000 people running around our city? I love Blakely prayed. Love sick for Jesus. Just desperate for him whose hearts are just in the top of their throat waiting to weep at the name, at the thought that God is coming. What could he do? I think he could shake an entire city. And I think he could use our city to bring revival. Uh, I had a friend say, most, most revivals have started on the coast and moved inward. A lot of people have predicted the next Great Awakening in America will start in the center and move outward. I think Oklahoma City could be the center place of a revival in our nation. Amen? And he uses people like 84-year-old blind women. This isn't about who you are or where you've been to school or what you have. It is, are you willing to pray? That's it. God says, you want me? Will you pray? Amen. So we're going we're gonna to sing this song just for the Holy Spirit to break out. We want him to baptize us. We want a corporate baptism of the Holy Spirit. We want to see and know. We want to feel and hear the reality of God, right? So we just pray real quick. Close your eyes just for a second. God, would you visit us in Jesus' name? I pray for every single individual in here, no matter how they got to Skyline, I pray they would hear today that they're here for this reason, so that the Holy Spirit could pray these prayers of revival through their life, so that they would be a living stone in every industry in our city, that God is alive, that he desperately loves human beings, and that he's returning claim for himself his own fame and glory. God, renew them in our day. Amen. Renew them in our day, Jesus. We love you. We thank you. Thank you for this church, this room. God, I see a day where high school students again come to pray at lunch in this building. God, I see a day where factories and businesses shut down because people are going on their lunch hours to pray. God, we just see the prodigals returning to the church. Bring them home, Jesus. We just claim every lost child for you, Jesus, right now. We just say we're not going to lose any. Jesus, bring them home to a church that will love them, not judge them. Where there's no condemnation, we say bring your whole life to him and he will wash you clean. The church is especially for the dirty and the beaten down, dragged out for the drunks and addicts, for the abused, God. We just say yes, bring them home. Jesus. Amen. Let's worship him right now in spirit and truth.